industry focus. The podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, January 4th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. We're kicking off a theme week here on Industry Focus this year, the first week of 2021. It's our top stocks for 2021. Our guests throughout the week will be offering up a stock they like for the coming year in the show's respective market or industry. And we'll dig into why. Kicking it off for our financial show this week, certified financial planner, it's Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, Happy New Year. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Pretty good. It was a busy but nice new year. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you got a chance to relax because I, <laughs> I, I I feel like I did nothing but run after kids, but we had a great time and they had a fantastic time. Yeah, well, I mean that's 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 holidays with the family, right? They're they're never they're never really uh never never a dull moment it feels like, but yeah, that is the idea. I was thinking about this as um our older daughter just turned sixteen yesterday and it struck me that wow, you know, I mean you got two years basically and she's off to college, so it flies right by, and it, it makes you, you know, it makes you appreciate these these times together a little bit more. Um, granted, we've had a lot of time together here <laughs> over the past year, but hopefully, we've hopefully we're turning a corner there, and twenty twenty one will be a little bit better. Um, we will wait and see there, but. Matt, this week on Industry Focus is going to be a really fun one because we're giving all of our guests the opportunity to jump out there in front of our listeners and throw them their top stock idea uh, for 2021. We thought this would just be a neat way to to kick off the year, to get some investable ideas out there for our listeners. Um, and you know, the financials industry, obviously a very wide-reaching industry. We talk everything from banks to insurance uh, to real estate here on the show. I mean, we talk about taxes and financial planning as well. Um, it, we, were, we were making a joke earlier before taping, though. It, given the way technology is shaping up, it's kind of nice. We're able to throw some SaaS businesses in here, too, now, aren't we? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. the fintech industry has really opened up a whole new avenue for us. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's been a lot of fun. And um, it, certainly, it's something we talked about a lot in 2020. Uh, I, I want to go ahead, though, and jump into your top stock for 2021 here on uh, today's episode. Because, you know, when, when you picked the stock, I had a couple of reactions. One, it's a little bit of a contrarian play. And, and it also runs a little bit counter to what I know has been uh, one of your your top stocks in this in this industry over the past couple of years. We talked a lot about it on the show. But go ahead and for the big reveal here, what is your top stock for financials in 2021? Well I think that 2021 is going to be a year of value stocks. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a great year for growth stocks. They had their year in 2020, let's be honest. <laughs> they had a good um, year, that's for sure. So it's going to be value stocks are generally the, the reopening stocks. They're the, the the older businesses, the mature businesses, things like that. So I'm going with a beaten down bank stock, and I'm fi- I've been hesitant to pull the trigger on this one for a few years. I'm finally ready to t- say Wells Fargo is the one to go with. Wow, Wells Fargo, one that we have... Uh, not been too terribly uh, easy on here over the past several years. I mean, they have really deserved the uh, 
the, the scrutiny that not only we, but really the investing population in general. Has, yeah, and I've been, been right given. there with you saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, that's it. It's, listen, they earned it. But, you know, it, we, we talk about this often when we talk about companies that are a, a little bit on the down and outs. I mean, it's important to be able to recognize if the problems they're having are fixable. And it seems like in this case, you feel like they are fixable. So what do you... What do you feel like the catalysts are here for uh, Wells Fargo here for this coming year and beyond? Oh, well, there are, there's a bunch of them. But for, before I do that, let me just tee this up by saying how beaten down they are. And not just because of COVID. They dropped about 45% in 2020. That was mostly COVID related. They're they're pure, almost purely a consumer bank. Consumer banking did horribly. Um, they all had to set aside billions of dollars. And unlike a lot of the other big ones, Wells Fargo didn't have a giant investment banking unit to really help offset some of the losses. Um, before that, we had the, the fake account scandal. There was the mortgage insurance scandal. There was the auto insurance scandal, which I was a victim of. Um, <laughs> I, I got charged for bogus auto insurance at oh, one point. Um, when, I, when I had my Camaro, that was financed under Wells Fargo. Um, so... Because of all those issues, they have underperformed the financial sector by 94 percentage points over the past five years. Wow. That It has been a fantastic environment for banks. Most banks have done great. over. If you look at like a five-year chart of a Bank of America or a J.P. Morgan Chase, they've done great over the past five years, with the exception of 2020. But it, Wells Fargo really hasn't, because even before this, they were you know in the doghouse. So I think that could all change this year. Um, and I already kind of alluded to the first reason why, and it's because they're primarily focused on commer- commercial banking, meaning they do, they're do they pretty much a savings and loan. They have a small investment banking operation, uh, but I mean, their trading revenue was less than 2% of the total this, this last quarter. So it's not much. But the focus on consumer ba- or commercial banking, while that was their biggest handicap in 2020, could be their biggest asset in 2021 as things start to reopen. I mean, you're you're thinking now is part of this is part of this the idea that that Wells is serving as a conduit for that that the payroll protection program. I mean, they're they're able to to not only help get that money out to their commercial partners that need it the most, but then also you're going to see the benefit from the reopening and the and the actual businesses start picking back up as well. I mean, Wells Fargo built up their reserves by three billion, three point one billion dollars in the fir- in the first quarter, uh, eight point four billion dollars in the second quarter, and if if that doesn't turn into actual losses, this is just reserves. This isn't money they've actually lost. If that doesn't turn into actual losses <clears throat> because the the economy is reopening, then that that was those reserves can get released. They won't have to set aside a ton more money. Um, you know, their default rate's not going to tick up. It really doesn't look too bad right now. Their default rates at, um, or the charge-off rates at 0.29%, which is actually really low for a bank right now. Um, I mean, they're, they're, the non-accrual loans, meaning loans that aren't being paid on right now, are at $2.5 billion, which sounds like a lot, but I mean, they set aside over $11 billion in the first two quarters. Yeah, not in the of context of the, the, the reserves. In the context of the reserves, that sounds okay. Right, so, so the point is, right, like, their business got hit harder than most, but as things start to normalize and they don't really need all these billions of dollars in reserves, because that's the reason they weren't profitable throughout a lot of 2020. It wasn't because they were actually losing money. It's because they were setting aside these reserves and that counts as negative earnings. 
we saw we saw J.P. Morgan. I mean, another another great example. I mean, a, a little bit of a different operator there, but I mean, J.P. Morgan. It, it, I think at some point here recently, I think it was the October quarter, they had reported some somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty billion dollars in reserves they had put aside. And Jamie Dimon on the call was talking about sort of a tale of two halves of 2021, where they expected to see whatever charge-offs they see, they expect that to peak here in the first half. And then, to what you've been talking about here, you really start to see those reserves being released. That trickles on down to that bottom line, can make a big difference. Now, the other thing that we're talking about, too, and I'd love to get your take on this, is buybacks. I mean, share buybacks and dividends are a big part of the thesis when you invest in banks, typically, aren't they? Right, and, and all banks had to suspend their buybacks in 2020 um, as, as the pandemic worsened. And that was the Federal Reserve said, okay, pump the brakes on buybacks for the time being. Um, they just gave banks the go-ahead to resume buybacks starting in the first quarter if their capital levels allow it. Now, Wells Fargo has $25 billion in excess capital right now because they're not allowed to do anything with it. Um, they're also limited in how much dividends they could pay uh, this year. If you remember, Wells Fargo was the only one of the big four that was really forced to slash its dividend, um, and it ended up cutting its payout by 80%. Um, so it's got all this excess capital sitting on the sidelines. That $25 billion is probably going to grow by the next time we hear about it, just because they're they're profitable right now. So once they can start buybacks, th- there's reason to believe they're going to do it aggressively. Uh, in 2019, they were their buyback authorization was $23 billion. To put that in context, their market cap is $125 billion right now. So they they have the ability to get very aggressive with buybacks, provided that the you know the Federal Reserve approves their plan. But the Federal Reserve already cleared Wells Fargo to resume buybacks. They the the bank is profitable, so it will be justified. The Federal Reserve should allow it. I mean, there's no real reason to think it won't. And that could be a huge catalyst because the stock is cheap right now. It's trading for a discount to book value. You know, you could you're essentially buying, you know, a dollar of Wells Fargo's assets for about ninety cents right now. Um, so if the bank likes to be aggressive when their stock is perceived to be cheap, especially, so I think this could be a huge catalyst going forward. Well, yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. And when you when you look at Wells Fargo and you compare that to something like Bank of America, for example, I mean Bank of America essentially a company twice the size of a Wells Fargo, which is kind of amazing to think about. But I mean, that really is, I think that's a testament to one, how far Wells Fargo has fallen. But also, as I was noting at the beginning of the show, this pick was a little bit counter to the other bank that you've really been uh, pounding the table on here over the past couple of years. You've been a real fan of Bank of America for a while. Um, I got to admit, there was part of me that thought you might be going Bank of America, but I like the idea here of sort of the value play, finding a big operator that is down and out with some solvable problems. Uh, certainly, certainly trading at a discount if they are able to solve those problems. And it, it does sound like there are plenty of catalysts. Now, let's talk a little bit about this. <laughs> let's talk about a little about Wells's relationship with the Fed, because I mean they've they've been dealing obviously with a cap on buybacks, a cap on dividends. I mean there 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 was there was a Fed penalty involved too here with this business, right? Right. Well, first of all, Wells Fargo is still Wells Fargo. It's important to point that out. I know in in South Carolina, Wells Fargo is the biggest bank in this area. I mean, I'm a Wells Fargo customer. Pretty pretty much everyone I know is a Wells Fargo customer. You know how many people? Well, a lot of people that I know were victims of one of their various scandals because there were so many of them. But do you know how many people I know that have switched away from Wells Fargo? 
I, I gotta believe it's probably numb because it's Zero. too much work to do it. Yeah, it's, it's like a I, pain to switch banks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really so, is. I mean, there's something to that. So they're they're still Wells Fargo. <laughs> this is still the big the big operation. Uh, but you mentioned their Fed penalty, and it, this will be uh, three years in February since the the Fed put this penalty on Wells Fargo. It's kind of unprecedented. They limit. They said that they're at they're not allowed to grow their assets. The bank is not allowed to grow, and it's arguably been the the best growth environment for banks in 30 years after the tax cuts and, and, you know, the strong economy. And there's, there's tons of demand for loans right now, just because interest rates are low. It's been a great environment for banks to grow, which is why the rest of the banking sector has performed well. Um, but in Wells Fargo's case, that it, it's, it's not allowed to grow. Um, the, everyone pretty much thought that the penalty would have been lifted by now. Um, the, the condition was very vague. It was when Wells Fargo makes substantial changes to its corporate culture and enough to satisfy regulators, which is a very vague condition. It really is. I mean, I, I kind of wonder how they measure that stuff. I mean, certainly you can't just say, well, we're going to go by what your glass store rating is and then right. <laughs> kind of go from they, there. Like at, at first, they got rid of the CEO who had presided over the bank during all the, the, cri- the scandals and re- you know, replaced him with someone else internally. And the Fed said, no, that's not good enough. Um, so now that they finally have a new CEO, Charlie Scharf, uh, pretty much a brand new management team, they've overhauled the board. They've made a big changes to their the incentive structures that were really the, the root cause of the problem in the first place. So it's tough for me to make the argument that they haven't made enough changes. I mean, what does the Fed want them to do? Change their name? or, <laughs> or I mean, other than, other than what they've done, I really can't think of how they would overhaul their 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 business anymore yeah uh, other than actually you're like selling themselves to another to a competitor or something like that so i i'd have to i i think there's a high probability that that gets removed in 2021 what do you think the situation how, how do you feel like management is kicking around this idea in the boardroom the current interest rate environment and, and you know we, we've talked about this it, it seems like forever that interest rates only only can go up and, and yet they continue to <laughs> continue to go down and I know that you and I both took advantage of, of refinancing uh yeah as in, a consumer I love it. yeah it, it's, it's just a wonderful <laughs> environment as a consumer but obviously banks would love to see those interest rates start coming back up because that will make it a little bit easier on that bottom line for them what do you think the chances are that we actually see that rate environment firm up a little bit here in 2021. Well, that's a, an interesting point because it really has affected it's it when I say Wells Fargo is down 45% this year, it's not just the COVID loss reserves and stuff like that. Interest rates are a big part of that. Um, in the third quarter, their net interest income was down 20% year over year. So these low interest rates are killing their profits. Um, so I think the market is really underestimating the chances of interest rates rising in 2021. And I'm not talking about the federal funds rate. The Fed has pretty much said that they're going to keep interest rates low for a while. They want to see a lot of inflation before they even think about raising rates. But it's important for people to, for investors to remember that things like mortgage rates and auto loan interest rates are not tied, or they're not dependent on the federal funds rate. You can have mortgage rates rise without the federal funds rate rising. They're not, they're not core, they're not, they're, I mean, they tend to move in the same direction over time, but they're not, one's not tied to the other. So, I, I think as consumer demand starts picking up, as you see the unemployment rate start to normalize, one, you're going to start to see inflation. I think people are really under us. They think it's going to be really tough to get to it, the Fed's 2% or 2.5% inflation target. 
I really don't think it's going to be that tough. Um, <laughs> all the stimulus they're injecting into the economy, um, they're talking about doing another round of stimulus after uh, the Biden administration takes over. Um, consumers want to get out there and spend. Pretty much everybody I've talked to, no matter where they are in the country, are booking vacations for 2021. And these are people who don't like to go anywhere normally. <laughs> so, I mean, people, people are people are trying to get out and spend money. And I, I mean, I think the the market is really underestimating the possibility that we see a significant rise in consumer interest rates in 2021. Yeah, yeah, I think there's something to that. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people are ready to get out there and spend. I think a lot of people. I mean, listen, we we heard about it all leading up into the close of 2020. Everybody ready to turn the page and get into 2021. And you got to kind of recognize the fact that just because it's 2021, everything everything is still kind of <laughs> the way it was a few days back, right? I mean, it's going to be a little bit of a slow a slow uh, change here. But but once we get there, and, and it feels like we are we're at the cusp. That really could be something that lights up the economy. And I, we we definitely have already. Planned a, a vacation for for June as well. Um, so, well, so there you yeah, go. I, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, okay, so let's let's fast forward six months from now, and we're we're following this Wells Fargo story along. Uh, what what are what are the risks to this idea here? What are the things that you're keeping your eye on that that'll that'll give you signals that'll provide signals as to whether they're doing they're doing the right things um, or or still not quite there yet. Well, I mean, it's important, first of all, to point out that the pandemic is still a fluid situation. That's the number one risk here. Um, to, to, when I say buy a, a great stock for 2021, I still think Wells Fargo is going to be a great stock for the long term regardless. But as far as 2021, the pandemic is a, still a big risk. With Wells Fargo and pretty much every other reopening stock, there's still a lot of uncertainty priced in when it comes to the timetable. I mean, you and I are are relatively healthy adults. It could be March before we can get a vaccine. It could be September. We don't know. Um, and then once we once vaccines are widely available, when will the actual pandemic die down to the point where we can move about the country freely? We don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty here. If it turns out to be March, that's going to be a fantastic catalyst for Wells Fargo. Uh, if it turns out to be September, not so much. But I, I'm 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 thinking it's going to be somewhere in the middle of there. But that so that's that's one big risk. Um, there's there's you know unemployment risk is a big one. It, if people actually end up having trouble paying their bills, I mentioned that their default rate hasn't really ticked up much. But that's third quarter. That was when most of the um, the stimulus was still working its way through the system when case numbers weren't spiking out of control. So there could be some long tailed effects in the fourth quarter and first quarter. Um, they could eat up a lot of the reserves I was talking about. So that's a, a potential hole in the thesis. So there, there are some things that can go wrong here. It, it's, it's important. I mean, there's, there's no such thing as a no brainer in investing. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's especially true here. I mean, there, I, I think Wells Fargo in the, in the twenties, like it is right now is a pretty big no brainer, but, eh. and, and then there's, um, there's always the overall risk in the banking industry of um, customers leaving, not for other banks or because of Wells Fargo's scandals, but leaving for the you know the online competitors that what we're seeing pop up. Pretty much everybody's yeah. starting a bank now. Square's starting a bank. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, there's there's a bunch of options. If you want more interest, higher interest rate, there's options. There's they're doing a better job of replicating a checking account online than they were doing just a few years ago. There have been high yield savings accounts, but checking accounts have been tough to to replicate. And th- so. 
that that's a big risk just in the industry in general that's that's worth keeping an eye on yeah it does feel like to me and we we've, we've talked about before this the 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 open mindedness of younger generations to look at some of these newfangled tech companies that are essentially partnering up with financial institutions to be able to offer financial services and so i mean i i think what maybe maybe lemonade kind of a good example there of an insurance company that's really just kind of they're they're putting that insurance risk on the reinsurance market and they're focused more on utilizing data to provide a really good service for an up and coming generation of consumers that are going to need insurance and so it, it always kind of makes me wonder in regard to Wells Fargo for the folks the folks that are already in there they're in there attracting new account holders i don't know how easy that is for them i guess i guess the one shining uh the one the one shining light on their business model is that dominant presence in the mortgage market i mean a lot of times is as home buyers wells fargo is, is the one that ends up servicing that mortgage in many cases yeah they're um, my mortgage servicer <laughs> yeah and and i mean that obviously that obviously is a big deal because they can take that and they they can couple banking services and develop the relationship from there um but yeah i, I guess i always wonder just in regard to to the younger generations of consumers how many are really interested in going out there and opening up account with something like a wells fargo when there are all of these new more tech driven customer centric options out there I, I, I love that they are maintaining their their dominant share of mortgage servicing, um, and I'll tell you why. I I refinanced my mortgage with Better.com. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're one of the online disruptors in the mortgage space. Um, I highly recommend them. By the way, I wrote them a very nice uh, uh, piece in, on our Ascent site about my experience. Oh, nice. And, um, nice. It was just a fantastic experience. But the point is, I used one of these online disruptors to get away from banks like Wells Fargo and Bank of America <laughs> and all that. <laughs> And what happened uh, three days later, Wells Fargo bought my mortgage from, from them. <laughs> so so I, I can't get away from Wells Fargo. And so even if people are going to these online disruptors, they're doing a good job of forcing people to have Wells Fargo accounts, essentially. Um, I mean, it, it, so it, and I find it really convenient to have my checking account, my mortgage, and my auto loan all in one place. I really do. Well, I agree with you there. I mean, we we, you know, whenever you have different accounts at different financial institutions then you have to link up all those accounts and figure out ways to pay and it just it becomes a little bit more convoluted than it needs to be and that certainly goes back to just switching accounts is just it's a lot more work than it feels like it's worth um but yeah i think wells fargo through the years has done a very good job i kind of feel like mastercard and visa have done a, a similar job in in the face of an industry that is changing so quickly thanks to technology they've figured out ways even though they may have been a little bit slow to change they figured out ways to participate in that in that newly evolved value chain right i mean whether it's visa or mastercard partnerships with companies like square and paypal uh wells fargo I mean, same kind of thing right i mean you're seeing these financial institutions partnering up with these tech companies that are bringing new customer centric approaches to the market and, and and still still being a part of that value chain and that really does mean the business can continue to be successful if they if they work hard at it yeah and i mean i'd like to personally see Wells Fargo get a little more aggressive with pursuing partnerships with, with some of the fintechs. I think that would do them good. Um, like you said, a lot of, a lot of companies don't want to be banks themselves, but are partnering with the bit with the big banks. I know JP Morgan has a bunch of partnerships in that respect. And so does bank of America for that matter. Um, Wells Fargo really hasn't had that level of success. Uh, bank of America. I, when, when I've talked about them before, you mentioned that, and I still like bank of America. 
I mean, they're my biggest bank stock holding. Um, but they've done a, a much better job than Wells Fargo of embracing technology. Yeah. I mean, as a Bank of America account holder, I can tell you they've done a really good job with that. And I mean, I'm, I'm, we have Bank of America accounts, and it's not because I just love Bank of America, but we've had them forever, and they've been just very, very acceptable. Like it's been, it's been good service and good, good, uh, good, good tech there that makes it very easy to to bank with them. And and I'm glad you mentioned that in regard to the banks aspect of it, because really, I, I mean, I view that ultimately, that's ultimately it's a competitive advantage. I mean, the costs and the barriers that come with actually being a bank. I mean. There, there are a lot of rules and regulations, a lot of capital ratios you have to adhere to. I mean, that is not an easy life being a bank. And so uh, that, that to me does feel like a competitive advantage to a, to a degree, at least. Yeah, no, for, a- absolutely. And um, I mean, Wells Fargo, you mentioned, you know, costs in there. Um, that's something that's another thing Wells Fargo needs to do a lot better. And I think they, they will with, with their new leadership. Um, we didn't mention earlier that they they have like the worst efficiency ratio of any of the big banks. Um, <laughs> you know, efficiency ratio, if you're not familiar, is essentially how much banks are paying to generate their revenue. So an efficient, efficiency ratio of 50% means they're spending 50 cents for every dollar of revenue they're generating. Um, most of the big banks have been in the in the 50s uh, in, over the past year, couple of years. Um, Wells Fargo's was 68 in 2019 and 65 in 20. Or, I'm sorry. 65 in 2018 and 68 in 2019. Ouch. Um, they're pretty high efficiency ratios. They, they, Their priority for the past decade, as misguided as it was, was to cross-sell as many products to their customers as possible to make their sales goals. All the other banks prioritized embracing technology and reducing expenses. The other banks won. <laughs> but, <Yep>. So Charlie <laughs> Scharf is... He's he's going to cut ten billion dollars of expenses from Wells Fargo um, is his is his big priority, and it's so nice to see them shift to that mindset away from just straight sales goals. Because there's two ways to make money in business: you can increase your sales or you can decrease your expenses, and they've really neglected that the latter of those two. And it's nice to see them, you know, finally prioritizing it. Yeah, well, sounds like plenty of opportunity there, and and I really appreciate you bringing that idea to us. I I, I love it. I mean, I think it's a neat contrarian play. I think it's a a very reputable firm with some problems here recently. Those problems sound fixable, and maybe new new leadership is up to the task. Uh, Matt, I think that's going to do it for us today. But thanks as always for taking the time to jump on, and really appreciate you spotlighting your your top stock in the financials industry for twenty twenty one. I know our listeners are going to love it. I hope so. I mean, I, I think it's going to be it's going to surprise a lot of people. Wells Fargo over the next few years. All righty. Well, remember you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. Let us uh, know what you think about Matt's top stock there for 2021 in Wells Fargo. And hey, listen, if you've got a top stock for 2021, don't be afraid to let us know. Hey, maybe maybe we'll even read some of those uh, ideas out on the air next uh, next week, Matt. I think that'd be a good idea. Yeah, for sure. And we can uh, each give our take on on whatever the the ideas are. All right. Well, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm